that. If you haven't got a Bible, there's plenty out the back. So. Um, and before we read that, how about we pray to God that he'll help us to focus on what he has to say through this passage um, and that he'll also be with Carl as he leads us through this passage. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray now that as we open it and read part of it that you will lead us through that with your spirit. Lord, we pray that you open our hearts um, to hear the message that you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that you be with Carl, that you um, give him your spirit to lead us through this passage as well. Lord, we pray that what he has to say to us may challenge and encourage us at the same time. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 19 from verse 16. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With this man, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Thanks, Carl. Well, uh it's a great question that this uh, young man comes to Jesus with, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's probably uh, the most important question in the world. I can't think of another question which would be more important uh, than that question. Uh, it's the most important question in the world because life is short uh, and eternity is a long time. The Bible presents us with two options For eternity, either eternal life spent in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father or eternal death, that is a living death, a life spent under the judgement of God 
and a life spent enduring the miseries of all the things that human beings can inflict on each other. Life is short but eternity is a long time and so the question that this man comes to Jesus with, what must I do to get eternal life, is the most important question that we can possibly ask. But of course that's not quite the question that the man asked. The, uh, the man comes to Jesus and he asks, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the one thing that I need to do to get eternal life? He comes to Jesus and he says, just give me one thing, one thing that I can do. We always just want one thing, don't we? Just one thing that we can do and when we've done that, we feel as though we're okay with God. You know, don't give me lots of uh, things, but just give me one thing and I'll know that it's okay. Well, Jesus gives the man one thing. He says, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man says, and Jesus lists off a few of them. He uh, lists off most of the ones that come from the second half of the Ten Commandments. So do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. And then he adds uh, an extra one which summarises all those, love your neighbour as yourself. What's interesting I think is not so much the commands that Jesus mentions but the commands that he leaves out. Did you notice that he leaves out do not covet? He doesn't even mention it. And he leaves out all the other commands from the first half of the Ten Commandments as well. He, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself idols to bow down and worship. You shall not misuse God's name. You shall remember the Sabbath rest. Jesus uh, is, is, uh, is keeping his powder dry, if you like, for a bigger fight. So that when this man says, all these commandments I have kept... Jesus can really expose what lies in this man's heart. Clearly though, uh, even when he says, I've kept all these commandments, clearly this guy thinks that there's something wrong. He goes, you know, just, you know, what do I have to do? Well, I've done that, you know, just keep the Lord, just keep the commandments. And the man says, I've done that, but I'm sure I still lack something. I'm sure there's something still missing. And it's no wonder that he's anxious because Jesus has just said to him, why do you ask me what good thing you can do? Only God is good. This guy must have been sitting there thinking, hang on, if God is the only one who's good, then what am I going to do? What what good thing could I possibly do that would please God, that would impress God? And so Jesus, having exposed this man's insecurity, he shows him what really is fundamentally important and he says uh, in verse 21 if you want to be perfect go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me what is the one good thing that this man needed to do in order to get eternal life the answer is he needed to follow Jesus Don't lose sight of the fact that the one central thing that this man needed to do in order to get eternal life was to follow Jesus. As uh, Jesus says in John's Gospel, what is it to do the works of God? What is it to, to do what God wants? It's to believe in or to entrust yourself to the one whom God has sent, that is Jesus Christ. We can't be good enough, we can't be perfect because only God is good. We can't love God with all our heart and mind and strength and we can't love our neighbour as ourselves 
And so our only hope is to follow Jesus. And that sounds so simple, doesn't it? It sounds so easy. But here's the catch. Following Jesus means giving up everything. You might remember that quote uh, from Bonhoeffer that I gave a few weeks ago. Salvation is a free gift, but it will cost everything. It's true uh, that, this, that Jesus' command to this particular guy uh, is not a command to us. So Jesus isn't saying to us, go sell all that you have and give your money to the poor. But as one writer said, the only uh, person that that's a consolation to is the person to whom Jesus would issue the command. It's an interesting thing to think about. No, Jesus issued this particular command to this man because he knew that it would expose what was in this guy's heart. Yeah, he loved his neighbour. He didn't murder, he didn't steal, but he didn't love God. He wasn't following God. He wasn't serving God. He loved his money more than God and he needed to repent. Jesus actually asks no more of this guy than he asks of any of us. Jesus simply asks this man to do in the most graphic and the most powerful, in the most concentrated way, what he asks every one of us to do every single day. Jesus asks us to entrust everything that we are and everything that we have to him. In other words, these words of Jesus are not just words for people who have wealth problems, you know, so there's some Christians who have wealth problems and they need to give up their money to Jesus and the rest of us don't. No, all of us need to give up everything that we are and everything that we have to Jesus. What should you do with your money? Should you buy this? Should you not buy that? Should you invest it here? Should you invest it there? The answer to those questions belongs to Jesus. What should you do with your time? The answer to those questions belongs to Jesus. What should you do with your life? What job should you get? What career should you pursue? Who should you marry? Where should you live? What house should you buy? Should you buy a house? The answer to those questions belongs to Jesus. All those questions aren't ours anymore. They belong to Jesus Christ. If we want to follow Jesus, then they belong to him. You see, the issue isn't having or not having. See, we think, we read this passage and we think that the issue is having and not having, but that's not the answer. That's not what it's about. The difference is really the difference between a clenched fist and an open hand. So we go, it's mine, I won't give it up. It's my money, God. And Jesus says, no, you need to come with everything that you are and everything that you have and you need to say, Jesus, this belongs to you. And Jesus might say, well, that's all right, you keep that, you use it for this or, or that. He might say, sell that and, and, and give, give that money to the poor. But it's not, it's not having or not having, but it's hanging on to or giving up. The trouble is that we want both. We want to keep our money for ourselves, we want to keep our lives for ourselves and we don't want to let God have it and we still want God to save us. We want all the goodies. We really just want everything for ourselves. 
We want to keep our identity and be saved. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The problem that we have is not just the things that we've done. We don't just need God to overcome our past, but we need God to overcome who we are. Who we are is fundamentally distorted and we need to give up the identities that we pursue and take on the identity that we find in Christ. I was listening to a talk just the other day and the guy was making the point that we find our, we, we always emphasise our secondary identities. Who are you? I am a builder. I, uh, I mow lawns. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a mother. I love chocolate. But that's not our identity. That's not who we are, is it? Who we are is in Christ. We need to give up who we are, our identities, what we have and hand it over to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, this belongs to you. And that will inevitably, if we do that, it will inevitably have concrete implications. You might not uh, sell everything you have, but the shift from holding on to coming with an open hand, that shift will play itself out in your life. Uh, I knew one guy who, uh, who decided that he had to give up his entertainment to God. So he knew that he was holding on to the, the things that entertained him were the things that, that he liked rather than what honoured God. And he knew that he had to reform what entertained him by, by, a, a God, by God's understanding of that. So he, he, uh, he threw out books and videos that he owned. He said, no, these aren't the things that God wants me to be, uh, to be thinking about or, or uh, you know, finding my enjoyment in. So he got rid of them. He stopped watching uh, you know, certain shows and films. His great fear was that he would be bored, that his life would be dull because he got rid of it and, and his identity was so much bound up in what he enjoyed watching and doing. But he wanted more to honour Christ and to follow Christ and so he gave it up. I knew another guy who, uh, who was a kite surfer, he was a very keen kite surfer uh, and he sold all his kite surfing gear which was a lot of, uh, if you know anything about kite surfing, that's a lot of money. Uh, but for him it had been an idol. He described it literally, I love this, as a chasing after the wind. <laughs> and it was. He went far and wide, chasing the wind. And he knew that he had to honour Christ and so he gave it up. I think one of the most challenging applications of this in the Bible comes in Isaiah 58 where God talks about the kind of fasting that he desires and he says, the kind of fasting that I want is not some kind of super spiritual exercise where you, uh, you, know, you go off and you kind of get closer to God. That's not what, uh, what God is interested in. God is interested in the kind of fasting which looses the bonds of oppression. That is, the kind of fasting where you go without so that you can take what you've saved and give it to people who, who have less than you, to give it to the poor. That's such a confronting idea, I think, because when we think about giving things up for God, we think about giving up the extras. You know, I'll, I'll go without uh, wine tonight. 
What a, what a concession. We think about going without the extras, but God says the kind of fasting that he desires, the kind of life that he desires is actually so costly that it gives up the essentials of life, food, so that we can take that and give it to the poor. Not so you can give it to the church, so you can give it to the poor. That's not to say that uh, we should only ever starve and fast and never have banquets. But again, when we have parties and banquets, we have parties and banquets to honour Christ. We had a great party yesterday for those who came, for uh, Peter and Annika to celebrate their 16th uh, wedding anniversary. And it was a great party and it was a great party because it honoured Christ and it honoured Christ in their life. We sang together, How Great Thou Art. Now you see, it's not about having or not having. It's about hanging on to or giving everything up to honour Christ. If you say, I'm following Christ, but you can't see that anywhere in your life, then the best conclusion to draw probably is that it's not happening. It's so sobering, I think, that this guy had so much of his life together he was generous, he was kind, he loved his neighbour, he was a great guy. In the other Gospels it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. But he couldn't give up his life to God. What one good thing does this man need to do to get eternal life? He needed to follow Jesus. But he loved his money so much that he couldn't do it. Well, Jesus uh, moves on from that. He takes the opportunity of this man coming to him, this rich man coming and going away sad. He takes the opportunity to make a general observation about the rich in verse 23. I tell you the truth, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know how many people have heard that myth that just never seems to die. I don't know what it is about it, but uh, there's a story that went around about um, the eye of the needle being a small door in the, in the gate of Jerusalem, I think it was. It's a myth. There's no historical evidence. Someone made it up. I don't know where it came from. Anyway, what Jesus is saying is exactly what it sounds like he's saying. He's saying it's easier for a camel to go through that tiny little hole in the end of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the bad news is that that means us. It's really, really hard for people like you and me to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's really, really, really hard for us to enter the kingdom of heaven because wealth is so seductive and we're wealthy. In fact, the allure of wealth, Jesus says, is so seductive that it's impossible for us, you and me, to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just really, really hard. It's actually impossible. Well, what a great encouragement to know that what's impossible for you is possible for God. So you might feel quite acutely that tension. You might hear Jesus' call and at the one time want to give up everything 
and at the same time want to hang on to everything. You might feel the enormous weight of what God is calling you to do. You might be afraid of it. What will happen? Will I be bored? Will I be poor? You might feel that it's utterly impossible. But Jesus says, what you can't do, God can do. That means that what you can't do, you can ask God to do it for you. You might pray, Heavenly Father, I want to follow Jesus. Please help me to give up everything to follow him. In fact, you can be very honest about where you're at. In fact, honesty is always the best policy with God because he knows what's going on anyway uh, and often better than you know what's going on as well. And so you can say, Heavenly Father, I don't want to give everything up. Actually, deep down in my heart, I really don't want to do that. But I know that I have to because that's what Jesus says. Please forgive me that I can't give it up and please help me to do it. Help me to give up my money. Help me to give up my life. Help me to give up my interests, whatever it is. Everything, every single thing. Help me to give it up. And God is so loving and so compassionate that God hears your prayer. And God is so powerful and so mighty that God can enable you to do what you can't do on your own. What must you do to be saved? Jesus says, you need to lay everything that you are and have before Jesus Christ. And Peter says, Lord, we've done that. Verse 27, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You love Peter. He always says it like it is, doesn't he? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Not at first anyway. Look what he says. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. What will there be for Peter? What will there be for us if we give everything up? There will be a hundred times as much and eternal life. The encouragement from Jesus is you won't be worse off. No matter what you give up, you'll never be worse off. What you've uh, given up, you'll receive back a hundred times more. Talk about a return on investment, a guaranteed investment of a hundred times more. People would kill for that. And Jesus says in Mark, what he's talking about is not just in the next world, but even, even now already we get that return on our investment in Jesus Christ. Have you lost friends and family because of your allegiance to Jesus? Jesus says you'll receive friends and family already now in the church and in the life to come. You might have moved away from friends and family in order to serve Jesus in some other place, in some other job or some other role. You'll receive many more friends and family in the church 
and in the world to come? Have you given up houses and money and clothes and other things that you might have? Have you given those up to love the poor and to support gospel ministry? The joy that you receive from that in the church and in the world will make every other joy in your life seem like nothing, a hundred times more. And in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're giving up because you're going to get way more than that and it will be way more precious and way more abundant. But here's the catch. Verse 30. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now it's a bit tricky to understand what that means on its own but Jesus actually goes on to explain it in the next parable and you might like to go home and read that parable uh, later. But Jesus basically tells the parable of a man who hires a number of workers at different times in the day. At the beginning of the day he hires some people and they work uh, through the day and then he hires some people sort of around lunchtime and uh, then they work for him and some, he hires some people in the afternoon. Uh, but then at the end of the day when he comes to, to pay the different groups of people, they all get the same wage. No matter how much they've worked, they all get the same pay. And Jesus says at the end of that too, so the last will be first and the first will be last. What's the point? What's Jesus kind of cautioning Peter about? But what he's saying is, it's not so much that everybody gets the same, Rather, the point is in that parable that Jesus gives out of his grace and his mercy. He gives what he wants to give. He doesn't give to us according to the amount that we do, but he gives out of his grace and his mercy. To those who have done very little, God might choose to give a great deal. To those who have done huge amounts, God might give very little, both in this life and in the life to come. Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples that they'll have a special place of honour at the new creation. Is that because they're better than us? Is that because they're, they're more spiritual, more godly uh, people than us? No, it's because God chose to give them a special honour. And God is free to give to each of us as he desires. And if that embitters us, it shows that we've lost sight of what we're receiving and of who we're serving. We're not serving God, we're serving what we get. We're not loving and serving Jesus, we're loving and serving the gifts. We'll never be worse off if we give everything up to Jesus. We'll never go, I wish I, you know We'll never sit in heaven and think, I wish I hadn't have given all that up for the gospel. We don't need to be afraid that we'll lose out. But we can't let that encouragement become the reason for our service. We give up everything to follow Jesus. That's the key. We don't give up everything because of the reward that we'll get. That's the consolation. Jesus says, don't worry. You'll be looked after, but come follow me. What good thing must you do to inherit eternal life? It's really very simple and also very hard.
Jesus says you need to let go of everything and to follow him. Everything that you are and everything that you have, you need to bring to Jesus and say, my life and all this belongs to you. I'm going to uh, pray now and uh, as I pray, uh, you might want to pray the same prayer uh, that I pray in your, in your own heart. So let's uh, pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, I want to follow you. Uh, everything that I have is yours and all that I am belongs to you. Lord Jesus, please help me to give up everything and to follow you because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.